a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with me on the program today. We are keeping a close eye on what's going on in New York State, where a temporary restraining order uh, issued by a federal judge last week probably takes effect tomorrow if the Second Circuit doesn't step in, but it may take effect today. There's some confusion here. Uh, Judge Glenn Sutterby uh, basically gave the state of New York three business days to appeal his decision granting a TRO against many portions of the state's ironically named Concealed Carry Improvement Act. Uh, the state of New York indicated that uh, that would mean that the TRO would go into effect today. But I don't think that the city of New York took into account the fact that Monday was a federal holiday. And so technically, the TRO may take effect tomorrow unless the Second Circuit steps in, which as of this uh, recording, they have not done so. I, I expect that might change today, however. So things are very much in flux right now in New York. Uh, long game, I think we're going to be successful at challenging the CCIA. Uh, and I think this uh, case, Antony versus Hochul, uh, is is going to be a big win for gun owners. Short term, again, a lot of chaos and confusion thanks to uh, New York's unconstitutional infringements on the right to keep bear arms, the mad rush to put these laws into place, and the fact that nobody has any clue uh, as to how to actually enforce these laws or even apply them for new concealed carry applicants. You've got uh, counties in New York who have not issued any concealed carry permits since September the 1st because they have no idea what the new law actually means and how they are supposed to go about it. That's a problem. And it's not a problem that was caused by gun owners. It was, as the state of New York has alleged, right? Oh, this lawsuit's going to cause chaos and confusion because people aren't going to know what the laws are. People don't know what the laws are, even regardless of the lawsuit. Because of the crummy way in which these laws were passed, uh, the fact that there was absolutely no input from law enforcement, from gun owners. I mean, they sat down in a room with gun control advocates and said, what should we do? And here's and the gun control advocates told them what to do. And OK, let's write that down. And that's what they passed. And now they're complaining about the legal challenges. Now they're complaining about, uh, you know, the chaos and confusion that these uh, legal challenges will cause while ignoring the chaos and confusion that is already inherent in the laws themselves. So we're watching what's going on in New York. Uh, I wish I had more to report to you today, but. Uh, from New York, I do have more to report, just not from the Empire State. No, actually, we're going to be focused on something that's happening about 3,000 miles away from New York. A new lawsuit dealing with sensitive places that was filed in the state of California uh, yesterday by a Second Amendment coalition. You've got uh, uh, the California Rifle and Pistol Association. You've got Gun Owners of California. You've got the Second Amendment Foundation all teaming up to challenge sweeping sensitive places restrictions in Glendale, California. As uh, Chuck Michelle with the CRPA uh, reports, this past session, California lawmakers tried to pass a bill, uh, Senate Bill 918, which would have made it almost impossible to carry a firearm anywhere in the state of California by declaring just about every place to be a sensitive place off limits to concealed carry. CRPA and Gunners of California defeated the bill in the waning hours of the legislative session, but Michelle says that's not going to stop these anti-gun lawmakers from bringing it back again next year. So they're not going to sit by and wait, he says, for California to try to strip gun owners of their rights. They are striking while the iron is hot and filing a federal lawsuit that will challenge the constitutionality of these sensitive place laws under the recent Bruin test. Now, this is really key because while the law itself that's being challenged is a local ordinance, a decision striking down that local ordinance 
would have a major impact on the ability of the state of California to declare broad swaths of public spaces off limits to legal gun owners and licensed concealed carry holders. And while the New York case, again, not taking anything away from the New York case, it's critically important. That's also in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. California is in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, And until the Supreme Court agrees to hear one of these challenges, the decision by the Circuit Court of Appeals is is going to have precedence uh, in those states, right? So for the Second Circuit, it's New York and I believe, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember, California, Ninth Circuit is California, Oregon, Washington, I believe Idaho, I think Montana might be in the Ninth Circuit. It's a big circuit. Second Circuit is a little bit smaller, but it's New York and a couple of the uh, New England states. Um It's important that we get good case law on the books, not just from one appellate court, but from as many as possible. Um, Some of these courts, by the way, are likely to really reach to uphold some of these gun control laws. So we may very well see a split in the appeals courts on issues like sensitive places, which should uh, give the Supreme Court uh, more reasons to hear another challenge. Now, I, I personally suspect that uh, the Supreme Court is going to take a great interest in New York and what they're doing. Um, but again, I think it's, this is really important that we're seeing these types of cases brought forward in as many different jurisdictions as possible. And there are some appellate courts, by the way, that are full of nothing but pro-2A states that don't have these types of restrictions on the books. So we might not get uh, a lot of uh, cases out of those circuits. Second Circuit, Third Circuit, Fourth Circuit, Ninth Circuit. Those, are, I think, are, are some big ones. First Circuit as well. Um, but again, when we are able to develop these cases, I think it, uh, it, it only will strengthen, uh, ultimately, our arguments before the Supreme Court, and uh, hopefully, again, strengthen and secure our right to keep and bear arms. So in this particular case in uh, Glendale, uh, Alan Gottlieb with the Second Amendment Foundation described just how bad these laws are. He says the uh, our lawsuit's blunt. The Glendale Ordinance is unconstitutional. The Supreme Court's made it clear that the right to keep and bear arms for personal protection extends outside of the home. And as we note in our complaint, the burdens on the city to prove that all areas falling within the definition of city property are so-called sensitive places, and they can't do it. Yeah, in Glendale, basically any property that is owned by the city uh, or that is a public-affiliated private property uh, is off-limits to concealed carry, with the exceptions of streets, roads, and sidewalks. <laughs> That's basically it. Now, as Godley noted, uh, the city of Glendale has 47 different parks and recreational facilities, including four community centers, one golf course, three soccer fields, 16 ball fields. They have a number of playgrounds. They have eight public libraries. They have three downtown parking structures. They have other city-owned or operated parking lots. They also have the Glendale Civic Auditorium and the Civic Center Complex. They have a youth center, an emergency center, uh, as well as undefined open spaces and plazas, all of which are off-limits to legal concealed carry holders. As Gottlieb says, that broad definition essentially turns much, if not most, of the city into a gun-free zone where Second Amendment rights do not exist. And that simply doesn't pass the smell test. He says, we're hopeful that the court quickly recognizes this and grants our request. Now, what's especially interesting about this particular challenge is that you will remember, uh, I think we talked about this on Cam and Company a few weeks ago. Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill into law in the waning days of the legislative session that 
was designed to make it nearly impossible and certainly uh, financially dangerous to try to challenge California gun laws. Uh, Under this new law in California, if groups like CRPA or Gunners for California or Second Amendment Foundation or FPC or NRA or anybody else files a lawsuit challenging a state-level gun control law, if they lose that case, they're required, or if they lose any part of that case, they could prevail on like eight or eight out of nine claims. But if they lose on that ninth claim, they're required to pay the attorney's fees for the state of California. Right? I know. Uh, this particular law is already being challenged as well because it singles out, by the way, gun control laws. If you want to challenge an environmental law in California, you don't have to worry about paying the state of California's legal fees if you lose. If you want to challenge a labor law, you don't have to worry about that. But if you challenge a gun control law, there are all of a sudden these extra provisions that the state has put in place uh, with the pretty explicit intent of trying to keep some unconstitutional gun laws on the books by making it, again, a, a dangerous proposition to try to challenge them in court. You know, you may look and say, well, this law is clearly unconstitutional, but, you know, the Ninth Circuit has never, has never uh, ruled that a gun control law was unconstitutional since Heller. You've had individual judges uh, in the Ninth Circuit who've ruled that. You've had three judge panels on the Ninth Circuit who've said, yeah, this law is unconstitutional. But an en banc panel always steps in and says, no, 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 these laws are fine. So again, in California, the only relief that you might possibly have, well, hopefully the Ninth Circuit's going to turn over a new leaf with the Bruin decision, but that remains to be seen. And in the meantime, the only real relief that uh, these litigants might possibly have would be up at the Supreme Court, which takes about one out of every 10,000 cases that it is asked to hear. Again, you can imagine, you don't have to imagine the chilling effect on Second Amendment litigation is clear. But GRPs, excuse me, uh, CRPA, Gunners of California, Second Amendment Foundation, I won't say they found a, a loophole. But they have, I believe, found a way to uh, get around that state law and, yeah, challenge those sweeping, sensitive places uh, that the uh, state of California and Democratic lawmakers are planning to put in place come January. Because if they can challenge this local ordinance in Glendale, as opposed to challenging a state-level gun law, I don't think they have to worry about paying attorney's fees if they lose this case. But the decision, let's say we get a good decision striking down many of these sensitive places in Glendale, that decision would impact the state of California's plans to restrict the right to carry to a couple of public streets and maybe some wilderness areas in the state. So it is a a local lawsuit with, uh, I think, really national implications, certainly state-level implications. And we'll be keeping a close eye on this case to see what uh, the city of Glendale does. Will it try to fight for these sensitive places? Or will uh, the city simply say, okay, you know what, we're going to revise our laws uh, in the hopes of uh, avoiding this lawsuit and in the hopes of avoiding setting some precedent Uh, That would be very beneficial for gun owners and uh, very detrimental to the uh, anti-gun lobby. Like I said, we'll be keeping an eye on this case. We'll bring any details as they become available. But uh, this is exciting news, and I'm so glad to see 
uh, almost every day now. We're talking about new lawsuits being filed around the country in the wake of the Bruin decision. That's what it's going to take to restore our right to keep and bear arms, to make it strong and secure as it should be. We've got a lot of work to do around the country. Uh, and frankly, right now, one of the biggest challenges I face is just trying to keep up with all of the different lawsuits out there right now. Hopefully, I'm doing a, a decent job of that. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Uh, we will start there with a case out of, I believe this is Michigan, a Sherman Township man gets probation after shooting at roommates. Yeah, I, I, again... This isn't, I mean, you've got gun control advocates who are calling for five-year prison sentences if you so much as possess a gun that they want to ban, right? Meanwhile, in the real world, we're seeing some uh, individuals who commit violent crimes get away with a slap on the wrist or less. Um, Circuit Judge Paul Stutzman told the 25-year-old Connor Rooks that the charge that he was facing for shooting at three former roommates was, quote, very serious. He said it turned out what resulted wasn't serious, but a couple of feet difference would have resulted in a murder. Yeah. Uh, by the way, apologies. I've got my dog with me in the office today, so uh, I've got a bit of a studio audience. <laughs> she. Uh, so Rooks um, allegedly shot at his former roommates. This was back in June. Kyle Lowry, Alexis Kelly, and Wendy Levitz had gone back to the house uh, to talk about household possessions, divvying them up. An argument apparently erupted. Connor Rook said, uh, quote, I'm very short-tempered. He told the court he got a rifle. The three roommates then fled in their car. Rooks fired a shot at him. Um, according to the uh, judge, uh, it was a ricochet that hit the car. So a bullet hit the road and then went up and hit the vehicle. Thankfully, nobody was injured. But somebody easily could have been. Uh, Rooks ended up pleading guilty to assault with a dangerous weapon. One of the victims told the judge that they're traumatized by the event, saying they've had nightmares. Doctors had to up their medicine because they have bad dreams, can't sleep anymore because of what happened. Now, this is Rook's first offense, and his attorney asked for no more jail time. He said, uh, quote, he spent 13 days in jail. I don't want to talk too much about Mr. Rook's plight, but he tells me that it was a terrible, terrible experience, and he never wants to go back. And as long as he stays on the straight and narrow, he doesn't have to, because Circuit Judge Paul Stutzman said, okay. Two years probation for shooting at your roommates. Now, if you don't comply with your probation, you could go to prison for four years. Could being the operative word there. Uh, judge also told him to have no contact with the three, four, uh, with the, uh, three former roommates. Look, I, I hope that uh, Connor Rooks takes advantage of the uh, sweetheart plea deal that he was given. But again, I I'm I'm a little confused as to why we're talking about these uh, the, the the supposed need to criminalize our right to keep and bear arms when people who are taking shots at other human beings are walking away with probation. Seems to me like we need to be getting a little more serious on the actual violent offenders and having a little more respect, frankly, for the uh, right of self-defense. All right. Uh, today's Armed Citizen Story, speaking of self-defense, from the uh, great website CWB Chicago, a uh, gun-owning couple who detained a home invader who climbed onto their seventh floor apartment. Yeah, that is uh, a one dedicated crook, uh, but thankfully picked the uh, wrong apartment. Guy is a seven-time convicted felon. Uh, Juan Gonzalez on parole for his sixth and seventh felony convictions, now charged with a, a Class X felony home invasion. It was uh, early Monday morning. 
when the uh, man allegedly climbed construction scaffolding to enter a condo on the seventh floor of a building in downtown Chicago, only to be confronted by a woman who lives there and then detained by her gun-owning fiancé. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, A woman had woken up. She was already getting ready for work. God bless her. Uh, And uh, she thought she heard noises while she was getting ready. She just thought it was coming from another unit. So she's about to leave, actually. She goes into the bathroom, and then she comes face-to-face with Mr. Gonzalez, who immediately punches her in the face. The woman then pushed back, fell to the ground, began fighting Gonzalez, and she's yelling now for her fiancé, who's still asleep, to get in there and help her. Um, He did. He pushed Gonzalez off the woman, then told her, go get my gun. She did. And uh, then the pair ended up holding Gonzalez until Chicago police arrived. Officers found a crowbar uh, in Gonzalez's waistband, as well as a two screwdrivers and a backpack that he had. He also had some of the couple's property in his pants pockets, including a watch, keys, a couple of packs of cigarettes, uh, a small box of marijuana, which makes you wonder if the uh, couple might be facing federal charges <clears throat> for being unlawful users of drugs while in possession of a firearm, but uh, that might be a topic for another day. Anyway, uh, Gonzalez taken into custody. The couple were not. Uh, he was convicted of burglary in 2008, 2009, 2015, twice in 2017. He also has two non-burglary felony convictions. Judge Barbara Dawkins uh, ordered Gonzalez held without bail at the state's request. Also uh, held him without bail until the Illinois Department of Corrections reviews his parole status. Uh, again, for the moment, the uh, couple aren't facing any charges. I hope that they won't be facing any charges. It looks like they were acting in self-defense, but... Uh, a small amount of cannabis. We'll see if the uh, state's attorney wants to go after them for that crime. Or maybe DOJ. You never know. Merrick Garland, you know, it's it's a, it's a touchy subject right now to talk about, uh, you know, legal gun owners and uh, drug use with the whole you know, Hunter Biden thing. But we'll see uh, if DOJ takes any action there. We'll keep our eyes on that story as well. Finally, today, our good deed of the day in the right place at the right time. We'll unable to do the right thing. Uh, police officers and first responders in Oregon who responded to a fire at a nursing home uh, just a few days ago. This is a, a scary situation. It was in uh, St. Helens, Oregon. Uh, and you can see some body camera footage there. Uh, this took place back on October 5th, just after 1230 in the morning. So right after midnight, there were three officers first to arrive on scene. They saw this building visibly on fire at that point. So police officers uh, had to quickly begin helping residents out of the building. They were trying to clear rooms as a fire and other emergency service crews started battling the blaze. There was uh, one Oregon police officer taken to the hospital for minor smoke inhalation and a 74-year-old a resident of that nursing home, Linda Newman, uh, passed away in the uh, blaze. Unfortunately, firefighters found her unconscious in the hallway of the building. They attempted to revive her but were unsuccessful in doing so. Uh, But the officers uh, who were first on scene were able to get the vast majority of those residents out of the building. Uh, Investigators say the uh, fire they believe was caused by uh, oxygen tanks igniting uh, oxygen tanks uh, stored in an apartment where the uh, fire began. Uh, But that's all of the details that we know. As tragic as this situation was, it could have been a lot worse were it not for the uh, quick thinking and fast actions of those first responders. So we do thank them again for their very good deed. And our thoughts and our prayers are with Linda Newman's family. Now, that's going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program today. I want to thank my uh, good girl at my feet for being mostly quiet over the course of today's program. 
Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Don't know if the dog will, but I'll be, well, I mean, she's got to be around. She probably just won't be in the office. But uh, I'll be back tomorrow with even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. But I would also encourage you, check out BarryAndArms.com throughout the day because I do this show once a day. I'm writing stories all day long. And when this stuff happens after I've recorded this program, you know you can find out about it at BarryAndArms.com, the website. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member. Just go to barryandarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you'll get a significant savings on your VIP membership. And we're going to give you exclusive content that you will find anywhere else because your support does matter and it really does make a difference. Hope you have a great rest of your hump day Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free. <laughs>